1: Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Tonight we come to you for the first time in 10 weeks, or maybe longer with the bye-week factored in, for the Giants victory. The Giants stumbled out of the gate but took over and legitimately dominated in the second half of this game with a massive boost from their special teams. Um, which led to a game altering momentum swing, the safety. Overall, the Giants are able to win a football game by multiple scores. This game was not as close to the final scores, 36 20, but should have been, you know, it was 36 13 before a garbage touchdown. And they did this while losing the turnover battle, 3 to 1. You rarely see that in the NFL. What was your biggest takeaway from this victory, Nick?
2: I mean, let's put it in perspective. This is a feel good story. Because Eli Manning gets to go off in the sunset with a win. Even though I feel like this game was a microcosm of Eli Manning's career. There were a lot of boneheaded throws. There was a lot of him not exactly accounting for linebackers underneath. (laughs) Things that we've seen Eli Manning do in the past. But Giants end up getting the victory. And that dreaded losing streak that was happening. Didn't necessarily affect the draft position as of right now. Which is big for Giants fans. But uh, it's the Miami Dolphins. It's a team that everybody knew going into this season That they were tanking, they traded away their stud, twenty-five-year-old left tackle, and they just accumulated a bunch of assets, and they're in a rebuild mode right now with Ryan Fitzpatrick as their quarterback. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is a game gamer. He is a very respectable player the way he plays football, but he's not somebody that teams bring in to win a Super Bowl exactly. So that's who the Giants be at home. This is the second week in a row the Dolphins were playing in this stadium. Second straight road game for them. So keep it into perspective. But there were some good things. That defense played incredibly hard. A lot of the young players made a lot of key plays. And I think there are a lot of positive things that those young players can take from this game that they can use in the future.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I like a few of the things you said, specifically for me. I look at this game, and it's like, this team has really kind of been revived a little bit, revitalized by a quarterback change, and that's not to say that they didn't like playing with Daniel Jones, and it's obviously not to say that they were better with Daniel Jones, because they're simply not. They're not converting third downs anywhere near where they were, and you know, and these are easier third down situations against easier teams, but... It's impossible to say that this team hasn't come out and fought their their butts off for two straight weeks now. They lost this Eagles game last week, but that was a much better team than the Dolphins. And you saw in this game, you know, the Giants, instead of falling off, were able to complete the game, obviously with a massive momentum swing. The safety I'm talking about, which was spawned by an awesome special teams play. And then that led to another great special teams play, the return on the punt, which Mm -hmm. gave the Giants a 40-yard short field. And... Eli Manning made one really awesome throw. And I love how you said this was a microcosm of Eli's career because I think it goes in a lot of ways because not only was it a microcosm because you saw those mistakes, those throws that you didn't want to see, but also because you saw some Really awesome balls out there. He threw some sick passes. The rollout to Shepard in the corner that should have been a touchdown was just short. The balls, he even the, the early 25-yarders he hit to Shepard, who had a nine receptions for 111 yards, and is clearly, in my opinion, a better receiver with Eli Manning for what it's worth, at least at this point in their career, because he has such so much more rapport with Manning, just years of practicing and knowing exactly the timing of each play and each route. And Eli lasered a couple balls in there, and you could see – Why? And listen, I wasn't with Dave Kettleman when he said that, you know, from what we've seen when we watched that Eagles game, we still think Eli Manning can do it. He can still make up, you know, we still think he can play at this level. Because obviously I had called for a quarterback change before that, way before that, a year before that. But part of what he said does have truth to it, and to me always will, he still can make all the throws. He still has excellent zip and accuracy. Actually, people never give Eli Manning credit for accuracy. They never have in his career but his ball placement in this game was for the most part good. He made his bad mistakes, of course, but you know a lot of the reason the Giants are able to, you know, nearly average 9 yards per pass. Actually, I think they did average, I just need to double check this, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, they averaged 9.1 yards per pass attempt. That is not easy to do in the NFL. Obviously, against the Dolphins defense for what it's worth, but A, it's not easy to do in the NFL. B, the Giants just haven't simply done that a lot this season, Nick. Um and yet they did that in this game. So I was definitely impressed with what I saw from a Giants team, an offense that gave Eli Manning tons of time in the pocket, which was surprising to some extent with the reshuffled offensive line play. Obviously, Nate Solder had his one one of the, one bad play, at least, that came to mind. But, you know, it just shows that they're at least building something potentially that, that in my opinion, is moving forward a little bit in some ways on both sides of the ball. Not... They, I still think they're a team that doesn't close out games, and they have all sorts of overarching issues. Obviously, the defense played an okay game here, didn't play an amazing game. But I think this re- this game does give me a little bit of reason for hope, Nick. And that kind of transitions in me into wanting to know what you kind of made of Eli Manning and you know what could end up being his final home start ever.
2: I think you articulated it well when it comes to just the fact that he— did make some throws that were just eye-opening and kind of reminded you like wow Eli does still have some zip on the ball specifically the one to Sterling Shepard that that ball had some velocity on it and it was really well placed and again it could have been a touchdown if Shepard just put it slightly over the pylon just missed it but Saquon ended up cleaning that up a little bit later and those interceptions i mean one was a second and 12 vertical hitch pattern to that field side and i get Manning thought that Vince Beagle was taking the vertical up which was Caden Smith but Vince Beagle came off it and it was his own coverage and he just didn't even account for it through the pick we've seen Manning do that throughout his entire career the other one was a second and ten uh it was like the last play in the first half it was a seven route from Golden Tate and he just overthrew it a little bit and the coverage was pretty good but you know those are things the half is coming to an end he's trying to make a play seen things like that too and then the other one was a third and one with pressure right in his face Eli just did not account for, I want to say it was Jerome Baker, I think, on the play, who faked blitzing and then dropped back into the hole, and he tried to hit the backside slant, which I think was Cody Latimer. It just didn't account for that linebacker through the pick on the third and one when he when they were on Giants' side of the field. Those are those are uh, all plays that we've seen Eli do, and there's this like nostalgic fan in me from back when I was a kid, just like being like, oh, geez, wow, that's an Eli type of play. But then Eli will... Put his big boy pants on, make big boy throws come through in the clutch again, albeit against this Dolphins team. But it really was a it was a send off game where you can kind of remember Eli Manning's career in this one single game. And uh, just I am I'm happy that he was able to go out on a win. I'm happy that they brought in Alex Tanney and he was able to get his ovation so uh he can kind of just hear the crowd you could tell eli i mean you know he's a little bit emotional we've seen him cry in the past like when tom coughlin uh when he stepped down from being the head coach or when that whole thing happened you saw eli manning's lips start to quiver a little bit and he held his composure well in the press conference but uh like, I, I believe it was Sterling Shepard or Golden Tate were talking, was talking after the game about how he was like a second away from crying uh, when that ovation was happening. And that's just one of those feel-good things for Giants fans because Giants fans, we're going we're gonna to have so much respect for Eli Manning, even though maybe the Giants franchise should have moved on from him uh, a couple years ago. Maybe they extended it past, it, past where it should have been. But uh, at the end of the day, he's always going to have a place in my heart.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And it was cool for him, not only to get a standing ovation and, you know, Eli Manning, Eli Manning chants from the crowd, which was cool. You could see his, when he, you know, when he trotted off that field, his wife and his kids were waiting for him. And the smiles they had on their faces when they saw their dad was just awesome to really see. And you could just tell, you know, by listening to the players speak in the locker room and Manning breaking down the team. It was all good, good feeling. And and something the Giants needed, quite frankly. At some point, you need to break just the constant losing and the constant negativity that surrounded the team. And I will say this to those who want to use the, you know, the big Eli Manning, went 117 and 117. This was the game that kind of got him back to 500. And, you know, that's their argument for why he should not be in the Hall of Fame. I think you have to have it both ways. And I will always say this. And the Hall of Fame argument is neither here, not not for this podcast, for certainty. And I'm not sure I can ever really have it while fully removing the bias. That's not something I'm sure I can or can't do. I don't know. But I will say this with regards to that debate. If you're going to pin that total win-loss record on him and make this grandiose assumption that all wins are 80, 90, whatever high percentage you want to place on the quarterback and not the 52 other players and the coaching staff and everything else that goes into it, well, then you have to do the exact same thing and apply that for his playoff record and for his record in the Super Bowls and for the fact that his record in the Super Bowls came against two Bill Belichick and Tom Brady uh, football teams. So exactly. that's always going to be the case. You have to apply the argument the same. And I don't think people do that much because I see a lot of talk about his regular season record, Nick, but not enough talk within that context of his postseason record.
2: No, you're 100 percent right. And everybody always says, oh, well, it was the defense that wanted and all this kind of stuff. They don't account for the fact that the Giants weren't the best rushing teams. They don't account for the fact that Eli put the team on his shoulders, that Uh, nfc championship game in san francisco in the 2011 campaign i mean there's a lot of things that eli manning has done and people always try to strip him of it because he's not peyton manning and because they just always say that the defense is the one who won those championships and frankly it's it's bullshit in my mind like again you can't have that argument of the 117 117 and then on the flip side not give him credit at all for the super bowl and try to just reflect it to the defense I mean and it's just people Who just don't like Those close season runs
1: As well especially The exactly. second one 2011 you look at the Games he had Versus Green Bay Versus Atlanta and Versus San Francisco And all the circumstances That went into all those But I even think You can look at it On kind of a larger scale And you don't even Really have to go We can oh, we can go here and there With each season About the specifics Of each season And the obstacles That he overcame And the ones that Were successful But more importantly You can just go ahead And look at that 10 year history It was actually 11 straight 11 total year history History of draft classes and just do yourself a favor. If you don't want to hear it or you don't believe it was really that bad, go ahead and look at the 11 draft classes from 2008 to 2017. Just look at them. Go to Pro Football Reference, they have draft history sorted by each year. It's really easy to navigate. Look at those players, look at where they were drafted, and look at what they did in their careers, not only with the Giants, but in the NFL. And that is really what it comes down to. Manning was able to win two Super Bowls with, in my opinion, you know, two very good rosters in 07 and 08, and then a bunch of mediocre rosters for the rest of his career. And that's really all you can make of it. You don't believe it, go look at the draft history. And if you don't think that says it all, then I guess you're putting too much faith in free agency and other factors that aren't really playing as big of a role um, yeah. In my opinion,
2: exactly. And the fact that a, a kind of a large portion of his career, like the meat of his career, when he would have been in his quote unquote prime, his main receiver was a kind of a hobbled Hakeem Nicks and Ruben Randall, a guy who couldn't even crack Chicago's practice squad as a 26 year old receiver like four years ago when they had absolutely nobody there. So it's like there was a kind of a dearth of talent for a little bit at that those kind of positions if you were at me.
1: meanwhile at the same time you had a general manager who was swinging over and over and over he didn't just draft Randall and Nick. it was manningham it was jernel jernigan in the early part of round three it was travis beckham, beckham and up, yeah. his Barden. these were all day one or two or three picks or no day one or two picks and then it just kept rolling and rolling While at the same time they weren't really building a roster that really works in the nfl which is build the offensive line, build the lines, but even more so for a quarterback like Eli Manning who never really needed those top-notch receivers and more so needed that pass production and that ability, at least early in his career when he was running that Kevin Gilbride run-and-shoot, which is without a doubt the best offense he's run. There's no comparison. He's never been nearly as efficient or comfortable in any offense except for you know you can look at those two years statistically with McAdoo before McAdoo became the coach and you say okay well what about the numbers don't show me the numbers because we watch the games and a lot of those numbers in those two seasons were catch-up time I mean the Giants had one of the worst Stevens in the NFL those two years when McAdoo was the coordinator to uh, right before Tom Coughlin went and got fired for a reason because they were losing games and their defense stunk and their offensive line stunk but I mean if you look back at his career overall, you'll look at those Gilbride years as the best Eli Manning football. And it's just a shame that, they, in my opinion, they didn't build the right roster around him as a prospect. But moving on to something more positive and something more long-term, I hope, Nick— And that's Darius Slayton, Giants wide receiver, fifth round pick, just unbelievable. He's just impressing me every single game at this point. I keep seeing new traits that stand out, his route running, the route he ran in the first half that just completely left the cornerback. How many times have we seen Darius Slayton run a route where the cornerback got off balance? That doesn't happen that often in the NFL. I'm like, if his route running is this smooth, it's going to be an X factor. It's going to be that trait that takes him to the next level. And it's not even going to be his only trait because he's shown a lot of other traits, basically all the other traits. So I know, Nick, that he is a fifth-round pick. That's going to be his label for part of his career, at least this early part. But today he became the first fifth-round pick or later to rack up eight touchdowns as a rookie. And he didn't even play in the first two games. And that was the first receiver to do it, I should say, since Marcus Colston did it as a seventh-round pick in 2006. So my question for you, Nick. Besides the fact that he has this label as somebody who wasn't drafted in the first four rounds, what's actually holding you back or him back or us back from believing he can be a number one receiver for the Giants moving forward?
2: Honestly, man, it's the label. And that's that's like an asinine thing to think about. But he's proving himself on a large scale. This isn't just garbage time. These are in competitive games and we have to tip our cap to Teich Tolbert. We're hard on this coaching staff and rightfully so. But he's developed this fifth-round pick very, very well, and he's showing things that are the nuance to the receiver position that not a lot of rookies possess. This is a day-three pick, and he has a large percentage of the target share in this offense right now. He's earned the trust of two separate quarterbacks and has rapport with two separate quarterbacks as well. In the last four games, he's had seven, nine, eight, and four targets, and four targets came in this game against the Dolphins when they had a big lead in the second half, didn't necessarily need to throw at all. So... That's 28 targets right there in four games since the bye week. It's a pretty large target share. And he's playing with Sterling Shepard, who came back, Golden Tate, and he's just kind of stepped up. His ability to win at the line of scrimmage with his releases, his ability to keep his chest clean against press coverage, his ability to get open in and out of his breaks and keep the cornerback from staying in phase while also having a really unique ability to track the ball in the air and make contested catches. His hands have definitely improved throughout the season as well. So these are all like traits that you look at and you're like, "This kid's a rookie. Nobody's talking about him, and no one's really giving him the credit that he deserves." But he's showing these traits on the film, not once or twice in a season, several times. And it's something that you gotta just look at Dave Gettleman and be like, "Yo, you 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 piss off a lot of Giants fans a lot, but you nailed this pick. This is a home run." And I don't know if uh, you you gotta credit it to both Gettleman and this coaching staff for developing him as well, but he's g- given an opportunity and he's taken it and he's sprinted with it. And he's definitely a receiver that this team can build around. This isn't just somebody, oh, okay, it's a rookie it's a good story and you know, a th- third day pick making a, making a difference. No, this is a guy who should be here for the long haul.
1: No doubt, Nick. And I mean, this is a player who they can build around moving forward for Daniel Jones. And that's something that is really big, positive to take out of this season. And speaking of another player, I still think they can build around, and we're going to get to him a little bit, and some of the other factors, and what made this offense able to rack up 412 yards of offense in a game where they scored 36 points. And that's Caden Smith, who again, you know, wasn't at, didn't have as big of a game, but I was definitely impressed again with what he was able to do in this game. And uh, just his ability to help them move the chains. He was he three receptions for 38 yards, obviously had the long one, the 27 yarder. Um, what was your takeaway on Smith? Do you still see that progression there? Or are you kind of looking towards maybe more evaluation on the all 22? So you can kind of see if he's contributing in the other phases as well.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, that's mainly what I would like to do uh, just because tight end is such a a position where it's so um there's two dimensions to it there is the receiving and then there's the blocking and on the broadcast film it's not always apparent to see the blocking assignments and how they're actually executed and conducted by the players so I am looking forward to the all 22 when it comes to Kane Smith but I I still feel Kane Smith is a number two tight end and I think he can be the Rhett Ellison replacement for next year but I, he's not somebody that I really necessarily want to rely upon as our number one as of right now. He could sure. progress, you know. Development isn't always linear, so that doesn't mean just because he's going up now that he'll continue to go up. He could dip down. You never know. But he's definitely somebody that intrigues me as a number two.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I think that that's fair enough. I think that makes sense. But I definitely um, see some stuff that I, some traits that I like there. And how about the offensive line? I felt like Eli Manning had a lot of time today in the second half. Really, I thought. In addition to that, Nick Gates did an excellent job in the run game to spring some of those those big-time runs for Saquon Barkley, who finally got going in this game with a really big game. It was the first time in a while that Saquon Barkley had an 100-yard game. 24 carries, 112 yards, nearly 5 yards per carry, and that came with just a long of 12 yards. So that shows how many of those chunk plays he was able to get to, to have. And I thought a big part of that was Gates, actually, at right guard, which was interesting. And, and it wasn't just him, obviously, but what did you make of the entire offensive line? Here in this game, and maybe anything you sp- saw specifically from Gates.
2: Yeah, uh, Nate Solder had one play where him and uh, I don't know if it was a stunt or not, but him and uh, Hernandez kind of struggled with uh, keeping up the protection. Hernandez did a good job transitioning from riding the defensive end up to Solder, and then flipping to get the looper. He did a solid job at that, but Solder didn't handle the transition as well. And I want to say Eli Manning was sacked on that play. so That was one thing that stood out. But other than that, the offensive line—I mean—they were clearing holes. <laughs> Did you sneeze? Yep, sorry about that. Oh, no, God bless you. I Thanks. hope uh, everyone will enjoy that sneeze from the one and only <laughs> game, Schneier. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they didn't stand out in a, in a way of being negative to me in this game because they were opening holes, something that we haven't seen all season. They were getting to the second level, something we haven't seen all season. And they were pass-protecting well for Eli Manning, a, an immobile a quarterback. So, I was um, I was thrilled with the way they played. But, again, you got to temper it a little bit because it is against the Miami Dolphins. Sure. And, again,
1: we could temper it. It's not the greatest pass rush, but definitely some progress there and something that I'm going to be interested in seeing in the All-22. And before we dive into some breakdown of the defense in this game, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about the Giants draft position because, obviously, a win today wasn't the best thing for their draft position, especially when— they kind of got hit with a double whammy there when the Redskins coughed up that game against the Eagles cuz that would have been excellent if the Redskins were able to win that game for the Giants draft position. Um, obviously and then the Dolphins' delta loss here brings them as well to 3 and 11. The Giants are 3 and 11, the Redskins are 3 and 11. But the Giants are actually still in a solid position even after today's win because They have a strength of schedule tiebreaker, most likely. Now, that's not set in stone. Nobody knows that for sure. But they should have that tiebreaker. So there is even a scenario where the Giants can clinch the number two pick in the 2020 draft, Nick, this next weekend. It would require the Redskins to defeat the Giants, the Dolphins to defeat the Bengals, which seems possible, and the Lions to defeat the Broncos, which who knows? These are all bad football teams. And, no, we're never rooting for the Giants to lose games. But it is interesting to note that they do have most likely the strength of schedule tiebreaker. If they finish with a similar record to the dolphins or the Redskins or the lions, um, or sorry, the same record, not a similar record, the same record as those three teams. So this shouldn't, Definitely knock them out, but obviously there's still two games to go and we'll see what happens. But just wanted to give a quick draft update before we dove right back on into the defensive side of the ball. And on the defensive side of the ball, Nick, I wanted to get your takeaways um, from, you know, what, what, you know, why were the Giants able to turn things around? Because you look at the second half, the Dolphins had that, I've had two drives at the beginning of of the, or I'm sorry, they had right away when they got the ball in the second half. They had just a quick three-and-out three drive, and then they had a quick field goal drive. It was a short field after the E-line interception. So, again, on those two drives, they scored three points, but only 27 yards combined. And then it was the safety, a three-and-out, a five-play-and-out, a five-play-and-out, and then finally the garbage touchdown. So the Giants really dominated the Dolphins, didn't allow a drive longer than 31 yards in the second half of this game. What was the key takeaway, in your opinion, um, that led the Giants to that, uh, to that dominance in the second half?
2: I just think the Giants defense they played incredibly hard and their talent just finally showed like we always say this team has talent the secondary is young but there is some talent there but they're going up against an inferior opponent they should dominate and win and we saw that early on in even like the early drives I mean they were able the uh Dolphins were able to establish an early drive they didn't score on that first drive but they had like eight or nine plays something like that but on that drive, Julian Love was everywhere. He was beating blockers to the point. He was showing a high ability to keying diagnose plays, running plays. He hit layered in the backfield, I think, twice on that drive. Julian Love was everywhere. He played fantastically in this game. Guys like Antoine Buffet were playing really well. And then you have Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson. They were all playing at a high level, and they were just beating their blockers. 1v1, they were winning in those situations, and they were getting penetration, they were getting upfield push, and they were putting pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick in passing down situations. And I thought James Betcher did a good job with his blitzes as well, Well well-timed blitzes to kind of throw off the blocking scheme of the Miami Dolphins, to throw Ryan Fitzpatrick off his rhythm and not allow his receivers to get in their routes. And the young corners played well as well. I thought DeAndre Baker had a very solid game. Uh, He hit the guy a little bit early on the one play, I want to say but uh other than that he was able to kind of stay with the uh stay with Parker and stay with some of the other receivers and knock the ball away and kind of keep himself in phase that's what at least I saw from the broadcast angle so I was intrigued by how the entire defense was able to kind of play as a unit because I wasn't 100% sure how this was going to happen. I'm sure a lot of Giants fans had a similar mindset that I had. I'm like, okay, I think that locker room probably liked Jack Rabbit. Jack Rabbit was probably one of the more talented players on this team. He gets cut this week for everything that he did. Now, how is this team going to respond with the coaching staff more than likely going to get fired? They got the Dolphins coming in. They're a better team than the Dolphins, but are they going to be flat? And the Giants defense just, they were not flat in this game. And it was really good to see them kind of get up and show, hey, we do have talent on this damn roster, okay?
1: Yeah, I think what we're starting to see, and a couple things. First of all, I think Betcher deserves some credit for a good second half adjustment to this game. We always talk about that on the flip side. But also, you're starting to see the talent shine. I mean, the Giants were able to dominate this front. They had... They had the Dolphins in the second half in the third and five when Ziminens and Golden combined for a sack. That was an awesome play. Again, like I said, they never, they didn't allow a drive longer than 31 yards in the second half. The Dolphins had one, two, three, I believe eight, nine possessions in this in the second half or eight possessions in the second half and until the, obviously the garbage time touchdown. But by that point it was 36 to 13 and there was uh, only a few minutes left in the game, so really this Giants defense buckled down and won up front, like you talked about. They're starting to win up front. They got guys who can win up front. It's like, that's just why, like, for me at least, like the possibility of adding Chase young's defense, Nick, I don't really, you know, I'm not, you know, some people talk online, like, if they had Chase Young Chase Young's defense, they can go from horrendous to one to middling. I think it could be bigger than that because I already see signs of this defense becoming a more middling defense. They're not they haven't been horrendous the past two weeks, not against the Dolphins and not against the Eagles. It's hard to say. I mean, they had breakdowns in both games from the first half of Miami and then in the second half with Philadelphia. But, you know, part of that second half breakdown in Philadelphia is because the offense went three and out at almost every single possession in the second half and really kept them on the field and tired them out. But There's talent, and it's starting to step up, and you're seeing it. You said it in the secondary. Baker's playing better. Julian Love is a real player. It's great that he's now on the field. He should have been out on the field earlier. Um, You're seeing even random plays from guys like and Buchanan, who might be able to be a keeper, I think, next year potentially. And really just those guys on the edge. Golden, uh, Ziminens are starting to make more plays. And the front, and it really comes down to that. And for me, it's starting to get exciting because I see pieces in this defense. I don't know where they're going to go with it, Nick, especially if they change up the coaching staff. But – I hope they continue to go in the direction of what they've been building over the last two off-seasons with this defense, because I know it sounds crazy, but to me, I'm seeing progress there, serious progress, and progress that could be, boy, like – boosted to another level with an edge guy like chase young who needs a double team every single snap and takes over and ruins third downs and forces turnovers and punts so we'll see what happens on that front obviously there's still two games to play giants could completely knock themselves out of the race for young who knows it's possible if they win this week they're going to be in a tough position to get him but either way they'll be able to get some strong some good talent at the top of that round um you know, or trade back, which we'll talk about on other podcasts. But either way, I'm definitely excited about what I saw from this defense uh, today. Leonard Williams, again, to me, starting to really make an impact. And Dexter Lawrence as well. Just guys up front. So, Nick, besides the guys we talked about, the bit, the corners and, you know, those guys in the front, anyone else specific you wanted to touch on on the defense side of the ball? I, I hope we do. it We give it its due.
2: Uh, yeah, I think uh, Sam Beal, the safety, that was an incredibly—he uh, was a contained defender there. So— Him being able to notice that Patrick Laird was going to bounce that outside, credit to the defensive line to just not open, allow any holes to be open whatsoever. So he sensed that, and he was able to read it and just shoot it to get that safety. That's a pretty veteran-type play from a rookie player, and I do think that he still is— Beatable in coverage. I think he commits too early with his hips and things along those lines. But um, it was a nice thing to see. A little high mental processing kind of play from Sam Beal on that one. But the uh, the secondary pieces, the young secondary pieces in this game, I mean, I, I want to see more Valentine. I'm going to watch him more on the uh, All-22. because I didn't really see much of him in the, uh, the game per se. But Love and Baker. Baker had a couple plays where uh, – Parker beat him. Parker is an ascending player in this league, but uh, yeah, I uh, I really liked what I saw from a lot of the young players. Still need to see more from Lorenzo Carter though, because it's just he's out there, but yeah. you just don't, you you just don't. ever hear his name called you don't ever see him making a huge difference that's why you watch the all 22 but i've watched the all 22 and i haven't seen a lot of difference making plays from him all year other than that new england game where he played incredibly well so that's definitely another player that i want to see him finish strong in these last couple games
1: yeah there's no doubt i me and you both had very high hopes for carter coming into the nfl loved his athletic profile Love this upside, love what I saw even from a reduction standpoint at Georgia. He was more productive than people realize, with, a set, with the exception of the sack statistic, which, again, is not a big one for me, at least in my evaluation. But he hasn't progressed as, you know, we would have hoped, I don't believe. One other shout-out I wanted to give Nick was R.J. McIntosh, who's really had a tough time coming to the NFL. He had a weird—we I, I, still don't know what it was. It's rumored to be a thyroid issue, some kind of issue that basically caused him to miss his entire rookie season and drop— tons of pounds and muscle, and yet he's worked his way back, worked his way back. He's in a ridiculously crowded group on the interior defensive line. I can't imagine the Giants expected him to be drafted in this. When they used an early fifth-round pick on him in 2018, I can't imagine they, at the time, planned to also acquire Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence with, with major assets. But here we are, and they have done that. And yet he found a way to get a big sack in this game. Third and 10 Miami had on their 46, down 30-13. to 13. Game was still somewhat in in, uh, in play. And at the same time, we saw um, Miami drop back. Fitzpatrick uh, was sacked, and it was R.J. McIntosh on the sack. And they forced a fourth and 12 incomplete pass. So just a quick shout-out to R.J., obviously he's grinding to get onto the field at all
2: which is awesome too and i'm glad that you brought him up but one player that i feel like showed a lot of doo-doo moments in the beginning of the game was alec ogletree again just i honestly like i feel like he's out there and i'm not sitting here to disparage him he's a professional athlete and i have a lot of respect for that but sometimes when he's out there i feel like he's playing on rollerblades or something like that because like he just his ability to just stop and start. It's so bad for an NFL linebacker, man, his agility to do that. And he's like, people always talk about him. Like he's this athletic linebacker and he was a real athletic freak coming out of Georgia. But even when the giants traded for him, and I remember I was writing for inside the pylon at the time and I did, and I did the article on him and I did film research on him. I'm like, this guy is, is not this athletic article that all these beat writers are talking – or this athletic <laughs> linebacker that all these beat writers are talking about. So, And it's just more than that. That needs to be an upgrade this offseason.
1: Yeah, he had that athletic profile but on paper, but it was just never there on tape. And then he had that really big high tackle season um, on a team that really lended itself to a linebacker like him who could clean up things sideline to sideline. And he may, I believe he made either a Pro Bowl that season or something. And it kind of sparked his whole, this whole idea of him being this rangy linebacker. But he's just not. Um, he's out of position way too often. He can't be on the field. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Nick, I don't really want Mayo on the field that much either. I think linebacker is so much more important than, than giving credit for in the current NFL landscape. I think we're going to see it unfortunately for the seattle seahawks team with bobby wagner who came up uh lame with an injury today hopefully that injury is nothing um i haven't checked the latest on that but if wagner is out for this playoff run i think we're going to see it happen for the seahawks defense i really see a potential defensive collapse there without him that's how important these inside backers are in my mind in the NFL today. So I think the Giants need to do whatever it takes to upgrade that position this offseason. It is extremely important. I'd rather them upgrade that than just about any position on this roster right now within reason because obviously they can somehow find a way to get a left tackle and figure out what to do with Soldier. And by figuring out I mean trade him. Both of those options seem unlikely. Finding one worth better and then trading the one who stinks. But and in the as far as the feasible options go, Nick, inside linebacker's position, I think they can upgrade, and I think they really have to upgrade both, uh, either in free agency or both in free agency and the draft.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that because right now, I mean, Ryan Connolly, that's great and everything, but uh, we don't really know. He's coming off an injury, and it was a very small sample size. So you need to bring as many bodies in there that are competent or young or moldable. That you can because it's just – that's a level of our defense that has been exposed all year on so many different levels when it comes to the pass game, misdirections, run fits, really everything.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And you talk about bringing – I mean, there's so many – so limited resources. I really hope that if the Giants don't get in position to draft Chase Young in this class – they strongly consider flipping their mindset. And maybe it means, you know, a regime change over the offseason, season, which, you know, isn't hasn't been ruled out by any means. Giants could get rid of Gettleman and Schirmer. I think it'll probably be just be Schirmer, but I do think Gettleman is in play. But assuming Gettleman does stay, which I do think is the more likely scenario, just—I'm not saying, again, what I would do, Nick, just what I think will happen— I really hope he gives some strong consideration to trading down because it's so funny, you know, or trading back, however it should be phrased, because if they're not getting young, in my opinion, without a doubt, the best move is to pull an Indianapolis Colts from the 2018 draft with uh, the trade they did with the Jets, trade back from like three or four to six or seven, and then just try to, you know, load up on those second rounders because it's funny, like, you know, Gentleman is a guy who falls in love with players and doesn't believe in trading back, but like... A guy like him, Nick, who's so confident in his own evaluations, should want more of them, should want more second and third round chances. It it actually should be the reverse logic that he actually uses since he is a guy who falls in love with players. But, you know, if he falls in love with someone else that isn't Chase Young, and obviously, you know, they're not in a position to Chase Young, unfortunately, I think that's what will happen, Nick. But, you know, if you pick up another second rounder here or there, two second rounders, or late first, something like that, it really would give them a better chance to get a linebacker and address their other needs. So just something to think about as we kind of move into that stage of the off season, but before we sign off on today's uh, takeaways podcast, and obviously you guys um, can tune in again later in this week when we break on an L 22, is there any other uh, factors you wanted to touch on from this game, Nick, or any other defensive players, offense players, anything, the floor is yours.
2: No, I'm just uh, excited to grind the tape whenever it drops and uh, see how Nick Gates was inside, see how the secondary Really was see how the uh, defensive line was able to get as much pressure, and uh, was it uh just the fact that it was such an inferior opponent, which I'm sure it has a uh, there's some weight to that, or was it just uh, the team also executing at an incredibly high level? So we'll see that through the tape,
0: no doubt,
1: Nick. All right, on that note, thanks again for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys sticking with us. Again, it's gonna get better for the Giants. It has to. We promise you it will. But we'll be there every step of the way, regardless. Breaking news pods are coming. Once that happens in the offseason, we already have plans for that. Big guests coming into this offseason that we're starting to plan out, map out. So stick with us. The Giants are going to be changing in a big way this offseason. We're going to be here here for it, and hopefully you will be too. On that note, have a great week, and we'll speak to you later this week.